This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. AB Trace Together is a mobile app that can help Albertans prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the province. The app is completely voluntary. It provides peace of mind and can protect you and your loved ones through community-driven contact tracing. The app helps Alberta Health Services determine if you may have been exposed to COVID-19. Here's how it works. Download AB Trace Together, turn on your Bluetooth, and make sure the app is running every time you leave home. When you're out in your community, your phone detects when it's near another phone running AB Trace Together. The phones connect to make a digital handshake. Your phone receives an anonymous ID that is encrypted and stored in only one spot, your phone. If an app user gets COVID-19, They'll be contacted by Alberta Health Services and asked to voluntarily provide access to their AB Trace Together data. From the very outset of the COVID-19 outbreak, public health officials identified the potential of contact tracing applications to both assist in conventional contact tracing activities and to warn individuals that they may have been in close proximity to someone who tested positive for the virus. The apps have unsurprisingly proven controversial, with some doubting their effectiveness and others concerned about the broader privacy and security implications. A national Canadian app is reportedly still forthcoming, but the government of Alberta was first off the mark with its AB Trace Together app, which launched in May 2020. Alberta Information and Privacy Commissioner Jill Clayton recently completed her review of the application with an extensive investigation into its privacy implications that included a review of the technical details, how the app functions, the role of third parties, and access to the data by contact tracers and other officials. Commissioner Clayton joins me on the podcast to discuss her review, the positive aspects of the app implementation, and the ongoing concerns that her review uncovered. Jill, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I'm so glad to have you join me on the podcast. You know, contract tracing applications have generated considerable discussion and debate for months as one of the most tangible examples of the intersection between technology and privacy in our response to COVID-19. Other countries jumped out really quickly with their app, but Canada generally moved more slowly. In fact, the federal application that envisioned Ontario as a test case was supposed to have been released at the beginning of July, but that is yet to happen. Alberta was first out with the Trace Together app released back in May. Now, I'd like to get to your privacy impact assessment review, which stands as, I think, a really important review from a Canadian perspective. But why don't we start with the background on the application? How did the development unfold in Alberta? What role did your office play? And how does it work for the average user? Well, we had um, an initial heads up uh, from Alberta Health, from the ministry, that they were going forward with uh, with a contact tracing app. Um, at that time, it was very high-level information. So we just knew that they were working on something and they wanted us to be aware of that and keep us in the loop. Um, after that, we did see a couple of government announcements. And leading up to the deployment of the app, we received a, a more detailed briefing, um, a phone call that I was a part of, and we started to get a little bit more information. Uh, That same day, they provided us with a privacy impact assessment. 
Um, as uh, some of your listeners will know, um, Alberta's Health Information Act requires that health custodians provide us with privacy impact assessment, so it's a legal requirement. They don't have to um, hold off on, on implementing a, a system or a new program uh, while they wait for our review, but they do have to submit the, the privacy impact assessment to us. Um, and so after that, we were we were full on engaged with our, our PIA process. Uh, just generally, um, how the app works for the average user is that it, it is a voluntary app. So um, uh, users download the, the app. Uh, they choose to do that and then they register for the app. And when running the app, it um, basically it's exchanging Bluetooth and counter logs or handshakes with um, with other uh, phones that are that are running the app, and then if someone is diagnosed with COVID-19, they'll be um, asked by contact tracers if they want to upload their um, encounter log or the, the handshakes, basically, for contact tracing purposes. And then contact tracers analyze that encounter log to identify those encounters that meet uh, clinical thresholds. So this is where the two meters are closer or an aggregate of 15 minutes or longer. Those are the sorts of things they're looking for so that close contacts can be notified by contact tracers. The app's been publicly available for more than a couple of months now. Uh, do we have a sense of how effective it's been and what kind of adoption rate it's seen? Well, I think it, it's still early days. It, it is only two and a half months. Um, uh, actually, one of the recommendations from our report is that Alberta Health publicly uh, report on exactly that information that you're asking about, about how effective it is and what the adoption rate is. So far, I think they've, they've done a pretty good job disclosing um, generally data about the pandemic. Um, with respect to the app, they have been publicly reporting online the registration numbers. So I think the last time we checked this week, it was around 225,000 Albertans. Um, and I believe a, a couple of weeks ago, the Chief Medical Officer of Health reported that uh, one case of COVID-19 had been identified through the app. Um, but again, that was that was a couple of weeks ago. There, there may be more since then. Um, overall, though, I'm, I'm not sure that registration numbers indicate um, how effective the app is necessarily. Um, but we are hopeful that we'll have a better understanding. Um, certainly, we're expecting that Alberta Health will keep in contact with us, and, and we would like them to be reporting publicly on how effective the, the app is. Now, now, you mentioned that when the app was essentially delivered, it came with a public privacy impact assessment. I think some might say, isn't it better if you get the, the full vetting from a privacy perspective before the app's made available to the public? Well, I think that that's absolutely true. In an ideal world, um, we would, of course, have the PIA well in advance of, of its deployment. Um, it, it's not uncommon, however, that um, that we wouldn't uh, that we wouldn't be involved in it, and particularly with the the type tight timeframes here. Um, I should also mention that, you know, we receive something like 1,100 PIAs a year, and we can't turn all of those around immediately, um, obviously. Since the, the start of the pandemic, certainly in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, just for interest's sake, uh, we received something like 150 PIAs within a couple of weeks for new virtual care apps. So, um, again, we, we can't turn all of those around overnight. Um, 
depending on how complex or sophisticated a, an information system or initiative is, um, you know, the, the review might might be quite comprehensive and might take place over um, over a number of months. There's often a lot of back and forth um, through the PIA review process. So um, again, yes, ideally, we would have had the PIA, we would have been um, receiving updates throughout the development, we would have been able to complete our review, but that's that's not always the case. And certainly in the interest of, of um, getting the, the app deployed, um, the, the PIA requirements under the legislation were met. We did have the PIA and we certainly had a commitment from Alberta Health to keep working with us and talking to us and um, answering our questions throughout the review. Speaking of, of of discussions with uh, Alberta Health, it is striking when when we read the document that your office has provided. Just how many interviews and documents were reviewed? Can you describe a little bit that process, particularly in what was quite clearly, as you stated, a really compressed timeline? Mm-hmm. Well, um, in some ways, this was more involved than other types of PIA reviews, but um, that's mostly because of of the timeline. Um, Again, you know, if there's a, a significant initiative, um, certainly with respect to to um, you know health information system or even a, a government-wide uh, uh, public body um, information system, we we would dig this deep, but it would it would go on over a period of time. Um, for those more sophisticated, um, complex initiatives, sometimes we'll assign a number of staff to be involved. Um, we'll ask them to come in and make a presentation. We might have, um, you know, who knows how many people sitting around a, a, a presentation so that we have a really good understanding of, of a new initiative or, or new system. And then the PIA process typically is um, is a, a back and forth. We will ask some initial questions. We'll receive answers to those questions. We will go back and um, uh, because once we've received information, that will often trigger us to ask new and different questions and to probe a little bit deeper in a particular um, place. So, uh, and, and of course, we also want to see documents. We want to see training materials. We want to see scripts. We want to see uh, policies and processes and contracts and all of that kind of thing. So, so it, it's depending on the on the system uh, that we're taking a look at. It it can be a very um, a very rigorous process. It should be a rigorous process, and it can be quite involved, and it can take some time. In this case, we really did just want to. Um, to to get it done. I think the amount of attention on the system and the fact that um, at that point, I think there was over 100,000 people who were, you know, who initially signed up. I think, you know, those are those are reasons we wanted to fast track it. Um, one thing I, I did want to say, though, is that we have some PIA requirements, a guidelines document on our website that uh, describes what we're expecting to see in a PIA. And in this case, Alberta Health provided us with a PIA that basically followed that format and, and identified a few a few other issues that are specific to to this kind of app. But I, I think what's what's important, what I'd like to to highlight is that while everybody is very interested in the technical workings of the app, and certainly we are very interested in the technical workings of the app and um, and how um, security risks are, are are being mitigated, identified and mitigated. Um, we also recognize that that the technical safeguards are just one aspect of of mitigating risk. So there are other legislative requirements that are important 
controls for protecting health information. So I've already mentioned including policies and procedures and training and uh, third-party contracts and things like that. So um, there are legislative requirements that are that are there to ensure that health information is being protected and that privacy is being protected. And so I think that this report helps to show what the legislative framework looks like and, and that there are these, these extra controls in place. I think it does. And I want to come to some of the third party issues that pop up as well as some of the people who may interoperate or use some of this information in a moment. So let's talk about the review itself. What were some of the key findings that you had, both some of the things that you were happy to see, as well as some of the sources of concern? I'd like to start on on the really positive side. We were um, we did accept the PIA with a number of recommendations. So um, I do want to say, you know, we we don't endorse technology. Of course, we um, when we accept a PIA, we are recognizing that um, in this case, Alberta Health has made reasonable efforts to protect privacy, and that's that's the legislative um, requirement. So. Um, we also appreciate that the app is voluntary. We can talk more about uh, consent and, and voluntary, but from from the get-go, that was um, they told us that was their intent, that it was going to be voluntary, and so we certainly appreciated that. Um, I had had some early concerns about possible secondary uses of data that was collected by the app. I don't want individuals to be voluntarily registering to run this app and then using this app and then find out afterwards that their information is being used for secondary purposes. In, in particular, I was concerned about things like quarantine enforcement. We had heard some public comments about that possibility, so I wanted to um, tackle that uh, head on. Um, we were also, and, and Alberta Health did address our concerns with, with respect to secondary uses. They have a number of um, acceptable use policies that prohibit secondary uses, in particular quarantine enforcement. So we were pleased about that. Um, another thing that I, I like about the app and, and would highlight is that it is uh, supplementing the, the important work that human contact tracers do. So um, I think you know in in some respects that that will help us to to later assess the effectiveness of the app. Um, they scope the purpose of the app quite narrowly that it is a, it's to assist in in with existing processes basically. And we were really impressed with the work that they did in um, adding this tool to an existing process but not not overselling what it was what it was supposed to accomplish so um I think those are those are some of the positive aspects. We do have some uh, outstanding issues, and again, we've made some recommendations to Alberta Health, um, and hoping that we will carry on our our dialogue with them, and that we will receive more information. and And we would like them to respond to the recommendations we've made, and and publicly respond and and um, follow through on their commitment to uh, publish a, a summary of their privacy impact assessment. So some of those outstanding issues, um, I think in the first case, uh, uh, there were some challenges, I think, just in the, the very rapid deployment of this app. So ultimately, we found some inconsistencies in what they reported to us in the PIA vis-a-vis um, -vis information that was in public-facing 
documents uh, like the privacy notice and privacy statement. And there are some, um, there's an FAQ document available as well. So um, we've made recommendations that they clarify and harmonize those materials. Transparency, we think is, is really important um, with respect to, to this kind of technology solution. We think it's important that people really do understand what's going on. So we wanna make sure that all of the materials that Alberta Health has in place are, um, are harmonized, that there aren't mi mixed messages out there. Another uh, key finding, um, there is a potential over-collection of information. It's, it's not clear to us exactly what the threshold is for collecting Bluetooth and counter logs. So we have a pretty good understanding, we think, of how contact tracers um, analyze the encounter logs and use that information to make sure that they are um, contacting people who need to be contacted. However, um, during the, the Bluetooth handshake uh, part of the process, it's not exactly clear to us what the threshold is. That um, We know that ultimately the, the clinical guidelines that um, Alberta Health and Alberta Health Services are relying on is two meters or closer, for example. But it's possible that handshakes at a, at a uh, greater distance than that are being recorded in the encounter logs. Um, my concern is not so much that all encounter logs would have to, that all encounters have to be absolutely limited to two meters. I do understand that you might want to collect three meters or five meters um, so that you know, can look at signal strength and analyze that and, um, and identify the people who need, to be, uh, who need to be contacted. But we're still waiting for um, some additional information about how, um, how the app can limit that collection. Um, we've seen that as an issue in other contact tracing apps as well. And um, we're interested in a, in a technical solution to that and, and certainly more transparency to users about that potential risk. Uh, we also have some outstanding questions um, about how information um, collected via the, the app um, works with existing information systems. So again, this is, this is a, a tool to supplement an existing contact tracing process. And there are information systems, something in particular called CDOM, the Communicable Disease Management System. Um, so that, that has been in use and there's information there for, for other um, communicable diseases and contacts. And, um, and we're interested in how, the, how information from the Trace Together app uh, may or may not be included in that system, and uh, I will be following up to get uh, more information about that. And then, of course, third-party service providers. We, we looked at, um, at contracts and excerpts from contracts with two of the providers, but we did not see um, the terms of service for one of the providers. So as I mentioned earlier, there are very specific requirements in the legislation for what an agreement with a, a, an information manager um, needs to include, and particularly if information is going to be um, accessed or stored or used outside of Alberta, there are specific legal requirements, and we want to uh, be able to verify that all of those um, contract provisions are in place. Let's drill down on just a couple of those issues. It strikes me that that much of the concern or where there have been criticism of these apps, it's often come from concerns that they wouldn't be voluntary or that the, those behind the apps might view it as a substitute for uh, real world 
contact tracing in a sense the some of the really hard work and it strikes me that that what you've just described is is a pretty positive approach coming in from proponents of this app where they recognized its limitations the importance of of contact tracers still being at the center of all of this as well as the need for a voluntary opt-in approach well, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you, of course, know um, there have have long been discussions about um, about technology that is used to make decisions about individuals and the importance of having um, human intervention in those processes. So, um, so again, I, I do think that's one of the positive aspects of of this app that we are. Um, uh, looking at a at an app that is a is is an add-on, if you will, that it that supplements um, the, the the current manual contact tracing process. So using technology, but there is human intervention. There is an individual who will call you and say you've potentially been exposed. So you'll be able to um, ask questions and perhaps understand that exposure a little bit better. Um, and with respect to the voluntary approach, and that's. Um, that's an, an interesting issue when you're looking at a public health app, if you will. So um, the our public um, uh, privacy legislation in Alberta, so the Freedom of Information Act and the Health Information Act, um, neither of those statutes actually relies on consent um, for a public body or a health custodian to collect um health information. So particularly under the Health Information Act, that statute is set up. There are very specific um, authorities for collection that are set out in the legislation and consent is not one of them. Um, so for example, a health custodian can collect health information to provide a health service um, for diagnostic treatment and, and care purposes. And that's one of the authorities that they are relying on here. So we, through the PIA, Review. We looked at um, at the authorities that Alberta Health is is relying on to be able to collect this information, both under the Freedom of Information Act and under the Health Information Act, and we're satisfied that that they have legal authority to uh, to be doing what they're doing. Um, having said that, they very early on. Um, told us that they were committed to a voluntary approach. They thought that that was important for gaining public trust. And of course, um, you know, we're, we're in favor of that. We think that helps to ensure that individuals have control over their health information and how it is collected and used and, and disclosed. Um, having said that, they, uh, the, we did take a look at the, the consent they're relying on that, uh, that the public would look at. And we saw a couple of um, inconsistencies. And if you are using a, a electronic consent, for example, under Freedom of Information or the Health Information Act in Alberta, there are certain requirements that have to be met. So we did make some recommendations around enhancing the, the consent, um, in particular, an, an explanation of potential risks to privacy for from using the app. Um, so I think there there are some, some tweaks they can make to their public-facing information, but um, Overall, we're, we're pleased that they are emphasizing the voluntary aspect of, of this app. In many jurisdictions, there's been a lot of focus on the role that Google and Apple play within the contract tracing app world. They've, of course, set standards that many countries have, have sought to adhere to. Uh, what, how did they factor into your examination of the app? Well, I, I think probably the, the most significant concern that we have with this app is um, 
is the fact that for users who are running it on an iPhone, that the app has to run in the foreground in order for it to work. And that means that if individuals are out and about running the app, maybe they're grocery shopping, um, They've got their they've got their phone unlocked in order to um, to have the app run effectively. So uh, the problem, of course, with that is if that their device is stolen or lost, and if they have personal information um, stored on that device or accessible through that device, then obviously that is a risk. And so that that's our most um, significant concern with the way um, this app is designed and and how how it works. Um, Early on during our review, we raised that issue with Alberta Health and um, they told us that they had been working with Apple on a solution. In fact, um, as we included in our report, they were expecting that there would be a solution available quite soon and that um, you know they had also committed to us that they would then update the PIA and they would uh, provide a, a supplementary submission to our office and we'd be able to look at how that new um, interface uh, would affect the, the, the design and, and implementation of the app with respect to privacy and security. Um, we finished our review and that solution is not available. So I think that, you know, from my perspective, it's it's disappointing. We know that Apple and Google came out with um, with a, a fix for this issue uh, close to two months ago, I think now. And so that is available, um, but it's not being made available to um, for the Alberta app. So I think there's there's a lot going on in the background, interactions between perhaps the federal government, Apple, Google, and the provinces. Um, from my perspective, I think it would be, you know, there, there is a known risk here. We've identified that risk. I think others you know, globally have, have identified this risk and there is a solution and I would like to see that in place so that Albertans are better protected, frankly. Yeah, no, that that makes sense, and as I say, I think you're quite right. We've we've seen in many other places already for a couple of months now that issue of the app running in the foreground having already been addressed. It's surprising that that's not the case here. As I read through the report, to see names like IBM and Twilio pop up uh, was striking. We don't often think of those kinds of large players as part of this universe and a and a potential issue to think about. Uh, I, I guess is the primary way that you address that through satisfying yourself through the various documentation that they will abide by whatever regulations are in place. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so that that's one of the areas we we try to dig deep on. Um, I. I as I've already mentioned, there are all sorts of provisions in, in the uh, legislation in the Health Information Act that uh, require health custodians to enter into agreements with information managers. And there's a number of very specific um, uh, matters that must be addressed in those agreements. And then again, if information is going to be stored outside of Alberta, in this case, we understand that um, servers, for example, in the, the data center are in Montreal. So all of those provisions in the legislation kick in. Um, and again, that there, there's no prohibition um, per se on um, on storing or using information outside of Alberta, but there are uh, controls that must be in place. So we do take a look at that and um, and we want to, uh, well, reassure me, frankly, that um, that those contracts are in place and that those controls are in place. 
Now, one of the, the major concerns that comes up as part of these applications is the deletion side of things, both with respect to individual deletions, if someone decides that they no longer want to have the application on their device, and also the eventual ending or decommissioning of the program itself, thinking about when all of this comes finally to an end and there will be no need for this. Now, there's been major concerns, I think, associated with both of those issues concerns about whether or not someone really can check out of the app, as well as whether or not there will be a temptation to keep on with these applications even after the need has passed. Can you speak to some of those concerns, the kinds of issues you identified, both with respect to deletion of the app by its users, as well as the decommissioning of the app once that time has come? If I recollect correctly, I think my very first statement about this app when we knew that something was coming. Um, we highlighted a, a couple of things publicly that we thought um, Alberta Health needed to make sure they were addressing, and that included um, retention of information, for example, and, um, and explaining how and when the program would end and, and what that would look like. And certainly when we've seen some of the, the um, uh, discussions from academics, for example, or um, security and privacy professionals around these kinds of apps, one of the main concerns is what, what happens when the pandemic is over and what happens to these kinds of technology solutions and the information that's been collected. So um, we were aware of that from, from the get-go. We were interested in in how the app was going to be decommissioned. Um, interestingly, as, as we mentioned in the report, uh, early on, Alberta Health had not thought very much about how they were going to decommission the app in the in the uh, rush to get, get it deployed um, as quickly as possible. So we did ask them a number of questions around around that specific issue. So how will how will the app be decommissioned? And um, they did outline uh, their plans for that and and what was going to happen to the information. So um, we also did make the recommendation, however, that as as we get closer to that time, we want to be involved in that process. We would like to be updated and um, uh, understand what, what, what the plans are. And certainly if they make any changes to their plans, we want to be aware of that and have an opportunity to review that. Um, in terms of, of individuals who want to withdraw from the process, um, there there is a process in place. We were mostly concerned with how clear that was to users. So there's a, a two-step process. You can't just um, sort of uninstall the app and then then you're out of out of um, out of the app, so to speak. Um, keeping in mind that other users are running the app and um, their encounter logs might include information about their close contacts with you when you want to um, now withdraw that information might be uh, stored in encounter logs on other people's phones. So I think our concern there was more um, would individuals understand that there are um, two steps to this process and that their information might still be on other other individuals' phones. Um, so there's some clarity required there, but it is possible, certainly, and that's important that individuals be able to, um, in the same way they, they choose to download the app and register for it, they also can choose to um, not run it anymore and not have their information collected. Why don't we conclude with, uh, I guess, more of a big picture 
question. As you know, as part of this debate over contact tracing apps, there's been a fair number of skeptics who have raised questions about the effectiveness of the apps, concerns about privacy. Many have argued that our focus ought to be on conventional contact tracing as a priority, not on technology. Conversely, there have been some that uh, have come out of the healthcare community and elsewhere, of course, who argue that this is a major, obviously a major, major public health pandemic, and there is the necessity to do everything we can in response, including experimenting with new technological approaches and embracing some of the potential that these apps bring. Now, you've had the chance to, in a sense, look under the hood to examine how these apps function in a level of detail that few have. And I'm interested in your perspective now from a big picture. You know, do you think, having had that chance to take that closer look, that all of this is really worth the effort? Well, um, I, I think it's going to take some time to understand, um, even globally, whether or not these apps are effective. And I think one of the most important things to be thinking about, and I've, I've touched on this already, is we need, we need to be thinking about what it means to be effective. Um, as I've mentioned, one of the positive features, I think, about the Alberta app is that they haven't been overselling what it can accomplish. It's you know, the, the opening of the economy does not depend on 60% of Albertans downloading this app. Um, the app is a contact tracing app. Um, as apparently distinct from an exposure notification app, it is intended as a tool to supplement existing contact tracing processes. So, um, so you know, that, that certainly figures into my um, assessment of whether or not it's going to be effective or not. Um, I do think that, you know, it, it's interesting to me that, say, three months ago, um, nobody was having conversations around contact tracing apps. And now, um, now there's an awful lot of, of discussion around contact tracing apps. In my view, I think, uh, you know, it is, it is one, one tool that can assist um, as everybody is, is working to, you know, contain the spread of the virus and identify people who might have been exposed. It's, it's certainly a tool. It's, it's not, as I have said in public statements and repeatedly since, you know, technology is not a panacea. This is not going to solve all the problems of the world here. But um, I do think that uh, one positive aspect about all of this is that um, as you've said, this is a, it's a real-life example. Um, it's an opportunity for um, experts from a great number of disciplines to come together and look at this application of, of technology. So we've got our cybersecurity professionals, privacy experts, um, technologists, and, and ethicists, and human rights professionals. Um, I think it's a, a great opportunity to, to look at technology and how it can be useful. Um, what are the limits of technology in you know a, a situation like this in a pandemic situation? Um, but I, I, you know the more the more discussion there is and the more real life examples we have, um, you know I think there are lessons that can be learned for the application of other technologies and other aspects of of human life and. And again, just more governments and academics, regulators, civil society, businesses, and individuals have an opportunity to um, engage in these discussions. I, I think there's all sorts of, of positive lessons that we can learn and, and apply in other situations. Jill, your your office, I think, has, has done 
really important work with respect to this review. For those that haven't had the chance to take a look at it, I'd urge you to do so. So I thank you both for the, the careful and detailed examination that you and your office conducted with respect to this app and also for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate the opportunity. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.